Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We're dressing you so you can help others dress for success. How's that? Is that good, Jeanette? Does that work for you? I love it. I'm writing that one down for later. <laughs> yeah. So if you're joining today, you're already helping support Dress for Success. One of the things that Rachel and I are going to be talking about a little bit later today is just about the importance of women helping women. Not all of us have had that opportunity in our careers. And so if you brought a woman with you, props. And if you're a guy and you've showed up, mega props. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. I mean, this live recording was your brilliant idea. Was it mine? I think it was somebody on my team. I think it might have been Laura Richardson on my team who came up with this idea. Behind one okay woman is usually a better woman. So I'm going to give Laura the props on this one. Well, thank you, Laura. It's a genius idea. And so why have we decided to do this today? Well, first of all, I don't know too many other e-commerce podcasts that have not one, but two female hosts that have brought on a whole bunch of awesome women in e-commerce as guests. I feel like we have an obligation to celebrate women in e-commerce, not because somebody's got to check a box, but because we're already living and breathing it and working with so many fabulous women in e-commerce. So why not shine a light on so many other people that are kicking serious butt in the workforce. So I think this is just a great opportunity for us to shine a light on great people and shine a light on the strength of women in our space. Totally agree. We were reflecting, Sarah and I, on the headlines that existed pre-pandemic, such as CES acknowledging that they never had any women in the keynote and Shop Talk realizing that they needed to make a major push to get women programming And then fast forward to this summer, Sarah and I decided to do this podcast. And as we began to jot down the guests that we wanted to get on the show, I mean, 70% of them were women. And to you and I, Sarah, we were like, well, this wasn't difficult at all. And it's just mind-blowing to me that there continues to be this narrative in the industry, where are the women? Well, you and I have seemed to find dozens of brilliant women, some who are joining us today. And I feel so grateful to be doing this with you. Amen. And I'm so glad that, by the way, this podcast overall was your idea, Rachel. So props to you. I feel like I have had no good ideas so far, but I do come along for the ride. So that's been great. But you're right. This kind of goes back to overall questions about diversity. And in this case, for today, we're talking about gender diversity. It's like, oh, I don't know where they are. Oh, they're all right here. So like, shut up. But I will say it has been a phenomenal right over the past year, being able to see so many fabulous women in our space. And more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, women helping women. I agree. Sarah and I only met 
we've probably been friends now for a year and a half. And when we decided to do this podcast together in the summer, I mean, I wanted to do it with you because to be honest, I wanted to get closer to you. There's something remarkable that's been building this podcast together. I'm a solo founder. I just realized the beauty and partnership, honestly, through this experience. And it's so amazing to have someone by my side that cares as much as I do, but also can teach me. If there's one thing that I've learned about Sarah over the last six months is, is how giving she is her time. So Sarah, I appreciate you being a mentor to me and everything that you've given to this show and for this community that we're building together. Rachel, the feeling is in, insanely mutual. I don't get to meet so many people with such tremendous entrepreneurial spirit and the ability to get shit done. Very rarely are the two in lockstep and you certainly have proven that in spades. And I think if, if there's anybody that that asks themselves, like, can it be done? It's always Rachel that can get it done. So you have been a tremendous inspiration to me. And I got to say, it's a lot of fun working with somebody who does care as much as you do. I think that only comes from being either a founder or an owner, it just comes from an ownership mentality. And it's like, it's your name on it. It's your picture on the stupid chiclet. <laughs> you know, you kind of want to take that stuff seriously, but I kind of operate that way no matter what I'm doing, including making sure all the food shopping is right. So, you know. Appreciate it. Well, Sarah and I could go on about how much we love each other, but we know you didn't come here for that. What we really wanted to also do today was continue to pay it forward. When we thought about an organization that we could really spotlight today, we both came to the same conclusion very quickly, Dress for Success. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dress for Success on the show, but you're about to learn a lot about them. My first moment really engaging with you guys, I was invited, I think it was your annual luncheon. And I know that Turner was a key sponsor because an investor of mine was uh, in the C-suite of Turner and he invited me to sit at the table and I just started crying at this luncheon while I learned about the mission of Dress for Success. And Sarah, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share a little bit about it, and then we'll, we'll get into who our special guest is, and you can introduce Jeanette. Yeah. In 1996, Nancy Lubin, who was a second-year law student, she essentially got $5,000 via an inheritance of a past relative. And she wanted to figure out how does she turn that $5,000 into a gift that could keep on giving. And what she decided to do was essentially create this organization, Dress for Success, that was all about helping women achieve economic independence, no matter what their location was, their language, or the culture that they came from. And it's a nonprofit that works really closely with homeless shelters, immigration services, job training programs, educational institutions, domestic violence shelters to essentially find women who are trying to further their career in the workforce. And 5,000 organizations help dress for success. And they're, you know, essentially suiting women all over this country. And we are very, very lucky to have one of their C-suite members join us on the show to tell us more about dress for success, their mission, and a little bit about her career story too because we spend so much time talking about e-commerce and CPG, but if it wasn't for organizations like Dress for Success, advancing women in the workplace would not be where it is today. So with that, I will hand it over to Sarah to introduce Jeanette. I'm just going to introduce Jeanette and let her tell her story, but Jeanette is uh, Chief Programming Officer at Dress for Success. 
The reason why I was very excited about the organization, not just because of who you help, but it kind of goes to the highest form of charity, which is to teach a man to fish, or in this case, teach a woman to fish. Being able to empower women with the tools and the ability for them to advance their lives and become more independent and more capable is extremely important to me. It's the foundation of a lot of the mentorship that Rachel and I do and things of that ilk. So helping people advance is super important to us. So Jeanette, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dress for Success and how this past year has really affected the women that rely on you? Yes, absolutely. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for recognizing this month and using your platform to help us out. We appreciate that so much. As you both introduced so well, Dress for Success helps women navigate the world of work. Dress for Success is the only global organization that's focusing on helping women do this. And we have affiliates in 145 locations in 25 different countries. We're focused on helping anyone who lives and works as a woman. And we really focus on helping them reach career milestones, whether it's getting hired, getting a promotion, getting a raise, or really that ultimate goal of achieving true financial independence. We know that navigating the world of work can look very different based on wherever in the world you are. So each of our affiliates truly are the experts in understanding the needs of the women and and providing services and support based on what those local needs are. But no matter where you go in the world, you will see some things that are signature to a dress for success experience that are part of every affiliate. Of course, in our lore, that suiting program is signature to what we do, where women can come and get the clothing or the confidence they need to to nail their interview or if they're starting a new job. As we've come to say over the past few years, we're so much more than the suit because we really are that professional development organization. We really are that professional network for so many women that might not otherwise be able to access that network. You know, so often a woman's professional network is based on where she lives, where she learns, where she works. And if you didn't have the advantage of going to a gold star college or working in a gold star workplace, you don't have access to that community of support. Really what we're doing is providing that network, providing that coaching that can help every woman succeed. So the past year in particular, I think all of the headlines that we have seen about how women have been disproportionately impacted by everything, that is a thousand percent the experience of the women that we are serving, that that we have heard firsthand. We've seen how women who are most likely caretakers of children, of, of family members, have just been sucked into that. You know, women report spending 60% more time on those domestic caretaking tasks. You know, kids are out of school, family are getting sick, especially in more vulnerable communities. And, And that burden is falling on women. Women tend to work in industries that have been hit hardest by layoffs, like the hospitality industry. There's nearly two times the number of women that are currently outside of the labor force compared to men globally. And women, they also have a heavy presence in the industries that are deemed essential and still having to go out there and put themselves at risk every day. They they can't work remote when they are teachers or when they are nurses. So on top of joblessness and on economic insecurity, though, 
we hear that women just are having a crummy time. You know, seven out of 10 are reporting a, a negative impact on their daily lives as they take on all of this extra work that goes on with the pandemic. And it's not just short term that we're worried about, right? Like we now see these glimmers of hope as the world is opening up. This short term problem is already proving to have a long term impact on women in the world of work. Those that have not been able to get jobs or have been forced to remove themselves from the workforce to take care of family, they're setting themselves back. You know, the longer you are out, the lower your chances are to be eligible for promotions, to get onto that managerial track, and and even to be contributing to your own retirement that's going to help you have that financial stability in the future. And just their community has been gone, right? Like I said, Dress for Success is so often that de facto community for women. And as we've had to close our doors, there's been instances where we haven't even been able to be that for them. Well, the mission is incredible. And, you know, I'm just looking at some of the live audience that's here. We have folks from Johnson & Johnson, from Colgate, from Campbell's, from Hershey's, from some of the biggest brands in the world. How can corporations like the ones I just named... Mm -hmm further dress for success's mission? How can they help today? Yeah, it's one word, right? It's higher. (laughs) Um, There's so many women that are out of work that having corporations, having big brands that do have industry influence, it would be so fantastic to see them making moves as we have seen so many of them do to not just hire, but hire intentionally. Do it with a way where you are sure you are going to be getting women with diverse viewpoints on your team. You know, we said how so often the obstacles that our women face are based on where they live, where they learned, where they worked. And so often the hiring pipelines for some of these big brands, these big companies can be those more traditional routes that our women just don't have access to. So when you have opportunities available, ensure that you're making them as available as possible. Consider fair chance hiring and hire people that have a background from being formerly incarcerated. Take a look at your education requirements and recognize that now, especially in a tech-driven startup world, often formal education isn't necessarily going to be what determines who's the best fit for the job. So, you know, be open to that. Getting rid of the education requirements is a way where you actually will get diverse viewpoints and more talent on your team. And in addition to that, it's just the idea of uh, companies and individuals opening up your network to women that maybe you wouldn't access. These are not women that maybe you went to school with. These are not maybe women that you work with. But we have put such an effort on democratizing networking because we know so often getting hired is based on who you know. So if you are open to opening up your network to a woman who might not have been in there otherwise, she'll absolutely benefit from not just your support, but she'll benefit from your connections. Uh, We know that 85% of people get hired based on having a previous connection. So we're really just trying to democratize the networks of our women to increase the chances that they can get into these jobs that are going to put them on the path to financial security. I am so glad to hear you say that. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us. The bravery of everything that you're doing and the bravery of all of the women that are raising their hands and asking for help. I mean, that's that's the hardest thing to be able to do in the first place. So I'm so glad that you are able to, to join us. I do think that this is a great launching pad for discussion with our listeners, particularly around diversity and hiring. I think that's a that's a really, really good 
meaty topic of conversation. I don't want it to be the only topic of conversation, but I will say this whole idea of hiring people that look like you, that you grew up with, that you went to school with, all that other stuff, that has hindered women for decades. I mean, certainly when I was first starting out after I graduated college from City College, it was cheap and that's what I could afford. If you don't have the contacts, if you don't have the networks, you got to go, you know, either on people taking a little bit of a flyer on you and organizations that are willing to look much more broadly at, like you said, requirements, whether those are geographic or educational or things of that ilk. Rachel, when you were originally starting out, like, how did you even get your first job? I got my first job. You know, I went to NYU. I got this crazy job while I was in college. It was 2007 and I was reverse mentoring Time Warner executives on the internet. And this person made a flippant comment to me that I reminded them of a guy. His name was Josh Spear. Never heard of that name. Google Josh Spear. Learned he was this college dropout that essentially built an ad agency. And I actually messaged him on LinkedIn. And I told him the things that I was up to. And he responded like three weeks later. And we got coffee. And literally on the spot, he made me a job offer. And I called my dad and told him that I just got a job offer from this young guy. And uh, I decided to stack all my classes because I was still in school. And I joined this company called Undercurrent. And that's how my career got started. That's just a great way of being able to show your assertiveness, which I will not call aggressive because it's actually assertive. (laughs) Say chutzpah. Oh, that's the word. Chutzpah. (laughs) got to be guttural. You're not showing your tribe today. Sorry. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> no, I think, I think it does require a, a high degree of assertiveness. I think we can take one of the questions that was sent in in advance. I have a question, Sarah. I'll ask it that came from the group. If we look back to the past five to 10 years, how have things changed for women in the workplace? It's a great question, particularly a good one given our generational divide, Rachel. I know we look like we're the same age, but we're not. Rachel is going to be turning a whopping... Am I allowed to reveal your age? Sure. (laughs) Oh, well, no, if you're not cool with it. Okay, so I'm a lot older than Rachel. I'm 46 and she's not. Let's just put it at that. (laughs) And when I was starting out in the workforce, it was like, if, if there was a woman that was more senior, the last thing she was doing was actually helping you out. In fact, probably what they were doing was saying there's room for only one chick and one chick only, and that chick's going to be me. Sucks for you. I would say only a few years ago did that start to change. And I don't know if there are other folks that are on this call that are in the 40 to 55 range that experienced that the way I experienced that. But Rachel, how was it for you? No, I'm. it always upsets me when... That's the sentiment. You know, my my mother, who's she'd kill me for saying this, but uh, is in her 60s. She started her career at Citibank and she has these insane stories of how ruthless peers who are women as well as her superiors were to her. I started my career in 2007 and that was not the experience that I've had. I feel very lucky that throughout my career, women have taken me with them. I've risen through the ranks because of them. They've invested in my company. I've created podcasts with them. I'm asking myself, like, when was that cultural shift? 
Was it around the Me Too movement? Was it when Hillary Clinton really started to become more visible in this country as a leader? Like, what created the shift of women supporting women in like the last five to seven years? I actually have no idea what it was. I know for me, it was like I became CEO of 360i and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, a woman CEO of an ad agency. And I didn't realize how unusual it was at the time. And then a lot of those Me Too stories started coming out. And then you started seeing a lot of opportunities for women. It was like this whole question, oh, is it you're checking the diversity box or we're recognizing somebody who actually deserved to be there in the first place? So I think Me Too actually did play a role in it. Unfortunately, there was a lot of backlash as a result. Hello, Diana. Hello, ladies. Congratulations on your first day of work. Awesome. Okay, so we just finished Black History Month, and now it's Women's History Month. We've had this conversation before, but I'd love to hear you guys chat around. Now that Black people, especially Black women, are hot right now. You're hot all the time. Always. (laughs) Yeah, well... I am hot brown. So, you know, I do what I can. There are a lot of places and spaces where people are trying to pull more women of color onto platforms. And there's this question of, am I just getting it because I am X? And so how do you guys grapple with that? Because I'm sure you experience it as well. And then how do you leverage your platforms to make spaces for people who are outside of your network that may not look like you? So that's a tall one. Oh, it's great. It's awesome. And definitely you and I have had this conversation before. Look, I don't know, Rachel, if you're going to have the same opinion, and I definitely want to hear what other people here think. I think if we didn't have that opportunity to be able to check the box, whether it was the woman card, or I need a person of color, or whatever that is, then would you have had that opportunity otherwise? The answer is probably no. And that's what makes it suck so much. But then what should you do? Should you just say, F you, I'm not going to take that? Or do you lean in and just say, screw it. I don't care that I'm the token. I'm going to show people that I have the right to be here and screw you. That's my opinion on the matter. And then once you become that somebody who is in a position of power, authority, and influence, then bring other women up or people of color up with you. And I think that's the only way we're going to be able to get there. So if the door is being open for us, I don't know. I kind of, you know, jam right in. Rach? The reality is, and I'm going to speak about this from the men's investor world, because I think the analogy just really paints how so much of the behind the scenes works. When it comes to investing, a lot of these guys are frat brothers, meaning like they grew up together, they pass each other deals. They're creating and opening doors for each other. They won't do the deal unless they can get their frat brother in and they're rising each other up. So I say all of this because every single day, doors are being opened for men and they're pushing each other through them. This is our moment. Doors are being opened for us. Not only do we step through the door, but we have to take four other women with us. When it comes to business, that's always the philosophy I had. I think this podcast is a great example. Like I could have done it myself, but I don't want to do it myself, right? I, I want to walk through the door with Sarah. And when I'm investing, because I also invest, I pass my investments onto other women because that's the only way that this type of dynamic can change. I also believe that there's a big see it, be it kind of thing. And it sounds catchy and it is catchy. That's probably why I remember to say it, but... If people see women and 
particularly women of color in leadership, then they say, oh, this is a job that I can have too. And when you start seeing that, then you say, oh, okay, this could be a career for me. This could be a place where I can be successful. And especially in in the e-com space, which kind of like straddles a lot of different capabilities. It straddles technology, it straddles sales, it straddles marketing, it straddles technology. All were very male dominated until relatively recently. Well, we have an accountability to be able to, to do this and to bring others up with us. So I also, I think mentorship is so important because otherwise how else are people going to be able to get ahead? I personally was very lucky. I did not have a woman mentor in my career, but I had a man who was my mentor for many years and, and helped my career immensely. And he's my boss today. So there you go. And you guys have a beautiful partnership. It's really admirable. I mean, I I have to carry him. You know, he's really not that capable on his own. I really just like have to schlep him along with me. But yeah, we make it work. So Diana, I mean, it sounds like you're having a hot moment, though. I feel like you've had a hot moment your whole career because you deserve it. How are you seizing this moment right now? Saying yes to things. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to put my brand out there because I think we all have, especially as women and women of color, this little voice in our head that says, that we are not quite good enough yet, or we have to pass X, Y, Z milestone before we are worthy of sharing our voices, taking up space and having a perspective and a point of view. And what I found, at least for me, is I know the value for me, regardless of my title, where I am in my career, I have a strong point of view and a voice and I'm going to use it. And I'm also going to use it for those women and women of color and men of color who may not feel the level of confidence that I do or the ability to be able to do that. So I do it for me, but I do it for them as well. To your point, Sarah, we're not going to be in a position where we can actually change things until we get in seats of power. Now, once we get there, what we do with that seat, that's the game changer. I think you're absolutely right. And that's why I'm, I, I would take those opportunities as well. I think it's a great opportunity for, for all of us to, to be able to grab what we can when, when we can, because not doing so means you're not going to be able to have it for anybody else either. This is another question that came in from you guys. Sarah, I want to hear your opinion as well as other women who are currently listening. About a decade ago, I was once told that I should not reveal that I'm a mother during introductions. Do you think that this is still wise advice? Should parents downplay their home life at work? Oh, dear. Wow, I just sounded like I'm even a lot older than I am. (laughs) Absolutely not. I think being a parent, gosh, I'm really, I guess it was a decade ago, so I understand that that might have happened then. Actually, when I was pregnant with Abby, and so that was, gosh, 22 years ago, and I told my boss that I was pregnant, (laughs) he he said to me, well, what took you so long? (laughs) <laughs> and I was 23. Wow. And, and there was all kinds of horrible bias that went on back then. But I think today, I, I think being a mother has made me a better leader and being a professional has made me be a better mother. And I would say the same thing, mother, father, it doesn't kind of really matter. I think being a parent teaches you tremendous amounts of empathy my goodness, if you can balance it as, as, as a working mom, that just shows how like ridiculously capable you are. I don't think this is wise advice. I don't think parents should downplay their home life at work. I think you have to be 
who you are, no matter what you are, whether that's, by the way, that also accounts for, I really care about working out. Uh, No, I don't, but let's just say somebody did. But if you really care about working out and that's something that's very important to you, you should let your boss know that so that they can work with you to create time and space for that. Let's say you're caring for elderly parents. That's also something like life is not just work. If we want to be able to help people find that balance, which by the way, I don't think there's balance, but being able to get as much done as you can, it's important for us to disclose who we are. I mean, I was like that with my religion. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was Orthodox Jewish because I didn't want to get discriminated against because I couldn't work on Saturday. But then I realized if I didn't disclose, then I would be asked to work on Saturday. So it's a little bit of a, if you don't disclose, well, gosh, you're going to end up in a lot more pickles than you thought you would in the first place. I'm curious from the the audience, given that it's the pandemic and we've all now brought work home with us every single day via Zoom, have you found a change? Let's listen to Yin. Thanks so much for hosting this uh, important conversation. I have so much to say, but I'll, I'll try to be <laughs> focused. I mean, the whole notion of our home life and being a parent, I mean, I've been lucky. I was told by somebody when I had my first child to be the change you want to see. And so I've always been very public with my motherhood. I brought my son to work on business trips all around the world. And I was very lucky to have the privilege to do that. But I do think the pandemic has been very game changing. I think everyone is just so much more exposed to each other's lives, be it children or pets, or just juggling the reality of life. And I hope we hold on to that when we're all back to whatever normal looks like. The humanness of it all, and that I've been lucky in my career that I've never had to put on that much of of a facade or never chose to, but you hear so many stories of people who literally don't feel like they can bring their whole self to work and they're hiding parts of themselves. And I just don't think you can be that productive and high performance if you're busy shielding a large part of yourself. So I hope we hold on to that post-pandemic. But the question I actually have for both of you guys and maybe for the audience is, do you have any thoughts on how to bring along allies and sponsors who aren't already in this kind of mindset, right? I think those of us on the call, many of the people who show up on these panels already are quite progressive in their attitudes, but not everyone is lucky enough to have that support system, a boss, an organization, a team that agrees. And so do you have any thoughts for the audience of if you're in that situation and you don't have the privilege to opt out or, you know, pick something else, how can you bring someone along or a leadership team along or a client along who doesn't embrace maybe this more current attitude? No, it's, it's, it's tough. Like changing mindsets of people. You know, when I joined Gap, they hired me to be a rebel within the organization, but there were a lot of people there who have been there for 25 years and were very happy with the status quo. What I learned was that I, I had to figure out how to create spheres of influence that they could be invited into. That was a big part for me was figuring out how decisions and power sits within Gap and then actually use that to advance agendas that make sense. I actually, Sarah, to plug our podcast, you know, uh, an episode that came out this week, I feel like is a great living example of, of culture changing within an organization at Central Garden and Pet. You're a little bit closer to them than me, but I feel like that's a great case study to share with people. Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't have top-down sponsorship, it, you, you know, there are definitely challenges. But even listening to Tim Kofer, um, who's the CEO of Central Garden and Pet, 
specifically talked about knowing the importance of changing the mindset and knowing that you have to create a digital first mindset. So many, many of the folks that are on this call are in positions of, of significant influence. So of course, you know, it, it does start with us, but to Yin's question, who, by the way, Yin is the CEO of MilkPep. So she's got plenty of authority and influence as well. For those who don't, yes, it's leading with influence, certainly. I also find that there is, um, I don't know how to say this, like an element of jealousy. If you show others that are totally kicking ass at this and getting mm-hmm. either great press or you know just fantastic accolades as a result, full disclosure, I'm on the board of directors of the Campbell Soup Company. And Campbell's frequently get cited as having great balance of gender diversity and strong sustainability, those kinds of things. If you show that to somebody else and you say, look, these guys are doing it. Why aren't we? I think that does make a big deal. That's probably the best thing you can do is inspire a little bit of jealousy. And I think we have Central Garden and Pet on the line. So Oh, hey, Linda. We're noticing what you're doing, guys. Um, We really believe that you're going to be a a company culture that folks are going to be following. Let's take another one from, from the list. So what tips do you have for all the managers listening on how we can best be supportive to top female talent on our teams? For one, don't expect all women to be thinking the same things and feeling the same things and wanting the same things. Like, oh, I had somebody work for me before and or is particularly as it relates to moms. If you're the employee, not the manager, don't expect that your manager can read your mind. And if you're the manager, don't project what you think the employee wants, ask. And I think that that's one of the biggest disconnects that exists, not just with women, but in the workforce in general, is that you may think that somebody wants to take their career in a particular direction, and it's very hard to know, except for this really simple thing you can do, which is ask. I have found that there have been people that have thought, I want to take my career in a particular direction and started guiding me towards that. And it's like, no, that's actually not what I want to do. And just because that's what you want me to do, that doesn't mean that that's what I want to do. Sometimes we project what we think somebody wants without actually asking. And I think that that makes, it's it's such a simple thing to do, but if you don't ask, you're not going to know. And then you have a risk of really losing some fantastic talent because somebody else did ask. Like for example, the recruiter that called you right after your review. I totally agree with asking. Now, I'm saying this as a business owner, but I'm, I'm giving the advice because I do want all women to be able to do this, which is help this top talent learn how to negotiate for themselves. I had someone reach out to me outside of my company, an executive that I really admire, and she asked me if I had salary comps for roles that she's currently occupying. And I was able to access that data for her as an agnostic third party so she could better negotiate opportunities for herself. I just think there's there's so much opportunity for all of us to help each other when it comes to the financial side of the equation. I think we have a question from Priya. Yes. Hey, Priya. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rachel. Uh, so my name is Priya Shanoi. I work for Nestle Waters. Um, I'm actually going to ask a question that builds off what Diana uh, said. And I really admired her when she said, I just came here. I just say yes. And I started thinking about the point that she made about saying yes to opportunities, saying yes to a question. And the key insight to me sometimes, I think it's me and a lot of maybe women, they don't say yes because they want to be perfect in their answers or perfect in asking the question. So my question to both of you is that, 
Do you think this perfection syndrome starts in childhood? And what are your examples or stories that you can share with us on what you have done to be who you are today? Because I'm sure you've had lots of failures and not been imperfect. So I just thought that it would be a nice point to ask both of you. Well, Rachel's perfect. So she obviously has nothing that she needs to get better at. Rachel, can you even answer that question? I can give plenty of answers. (laughs) Get started. Priya, you make an excellent point. And obviously I'm a a solo female founder and Micmac has been a journey. I've been at this for seven years. It took me two years to honestly figure it out. And I, I say that because I failed, flat out failed for two years. I wasn't afraid to fail publicly. Because I truly believe that the risk is worth even more. And I believe, especially in the US, that if you're a very good storyteller, you can tell a story of failure and get an even better job. And just to paint countless examples, like let's look at Quibi, right? Like Quibi was a total flop in our industry. Some of the biggest executives in the world attached their name to that. And they've all continued to go on to do great things. And once I realized that that was sort of the narrative in the US, that you can actually fail up, it gave me more confidence than ever in my career to take chances. And the truth is, and Sarah knows me intimately well, half the time I have no idea what I'm saying, but I say it with such conviction, people believe it to be true. And I'm transparent about it. I say this because the, the perfection is, is what holds people back. And we actually, we had Howard, the CEO of Post Serial onto the show. And I thought he articulated it well, which is he tries to get 80% accuracy, never a hundred percent, just 80%. He's clearly not in the data business. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I, I love that as a guiding principle. Sarah, what about you? I definitely agree with you, Priya. And I don't know if it's a female thing or if it's a cultural thing, but I certainly was raised like, you know, if if it's not perfect, then don't even bother. At some point, I accepted that you shouldn't let the perfect get in the way of the good. I think a big part of that and, and encouraging that kind of behavior goes back to, and this is just a credo that I live by, is the importance of being vulnerable. I think it's important to to show your own vulnerability, especially if you're in a leadership position and to, to whether it's what Rachel was saying, like saying it with conviction, even if it may be full of crap, but I encourage people talking about the fact that I don't think there's such a thing as work-life balance as a working mother. When I was a first time CEO and I had no idea what I was doing, I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I think the vulnerability ends up breeding a combination of trust and willingness for the people that you're working with to be vulnerable also. Being the first one to let down your guard is an incredibly challenging thing to do. And it took me a little bit of time to get comfortable doing it. I couldn't do what Rachel was doing, which is like, you know, talk with conviction and it'll all work out. I was like, I was just so much more comfortable in that vulnerability position, but it ended up breeding a lot more trust and willingness that if I did fail, at least you understood like, hey, look, I'm trying, I'm giving it a shot. I'm going to try to figure this out. And uh, you know, let me ask some dumb questions until I get it right. It's funny, Sarah, I'm looking back at our first conversation and that vulnerability is how we became friends because we were sitting at a dinner party and you said, I'm looking at job opportunities. Some of them are in the e-commerce space. Can you teach me what you know? And it was that, that vulnerability that really brought me close to you. 
Yeah, I'm very happy to say what I have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what? Thanks to people like yourself and many of the folks actually that have called in today, I feel like I've accelerated a learning curve that could have taken me forever to do if I wasn't willing to say I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is going to be our best episode ever. I can't wait. It's incredible to see who has joined us. I'm just like blown away by all of you who have decided to to come today. And I'm just I'm just really thankful. And I hope that you'll join us in supporting Dress for Success, whether that's just a donation or buying some really cool swag. Rachel, you always ask the bravery question, but this time I'll ask you, what is the bravest thing you've seen another woman do in the workplace? So I'm happy I get to share this story because this woman deserves all the recognition in the world. So a dear friend of mine that I made while I worked at Gap, her name is Attica Jack. She's now one of the highest ranking Black women at Google, but we grew up together at Gap. She led brand strategy when I led digital. Before she had that role, she was the head of Gap Japan marketing. So they moved her from the US to Japan. When she arrived to that office, Attica realized that all the women who worked at Gap Japan in the corporate headquarters had never been promoted. Some of those women had been there for over a decade. Because culturally in Japan, as Attica tells this story, they just wait for women to go get married. Attica promoted every single woman in that office within her first 30 days of working within Gap Japan. When I learned that story about Attica, I said to myself, that's the type of leader I want to be as I continue to grow my career. And so if you don't follow Attica Jack, obviously a leader to watch. She's doing incredible work at Google and elsewhere. She's involved in a lot of nonprofits and sits on boards. But Attica, I just want you to know that stayed with me for the rest of my career. That's pretty exceptional. I actually think the last question should go to Jeanette. But Rachel, in typical fashion, you should be the one to ask. Jeanette? Yeah. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? So I have intense vertigo. So it's not an incredibly exciting big story of bravery of climbing a mountain. I think instead it's more bravery by a thousand tiny little cuts. It's just the fact that I have never been in a group, in a room or part of a conversation where I didn't recognize that I had something of value or something unique to add and that I was there for an earned reason. So if I was young or in school, that meant I just kind of took those natural leadership roles in in the classroom in my career when I was at the cusp of nonprofit and technology and found myself speaking at CES. It wasn't questioning, why am I here in this tech space? It was instead saying they need to hear from me in the nonprofit world. And now in my role, similar to what we've been talking about today, it's just recognizing that you can do the same. You can affirm and and lift others up and make sure that, that everyone has a voice. This used to be called faking it till you make it, which I never liked. No one's faking it. It's just recognizing that your unique point of view is something that should be and can be valued and you should contribute it at whatever point of your career you're in. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much to all of you who joined us. Over the course of the month, if people want to talk more or if any of you want to chat with me or Rachel or each other or want to be connected to each other, by all means, please reach out. We are happy to help lift as many women as possible, especially in the e-commerce space. So thank you. And thank you very much to Jeanette for joining us and to all of you. Thanks for listening to Brave Commerce. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe for early access. And don't forget to share this link with a friend.
Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there